Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message. We really don't need to do anything else today, right? Wasn't that amazing? Worship was amazing and how sweet uh, was that? Um, But nonetheless, I'm going to uh, share uh, a word uh, this morning. Um, Really quickly though, uh, in lieu of our normal announcement routine, there is one thing I do want to remind you of in a couple weeks. Uh, We will be receiving our annual Big Give offering. Uh, If you're somewhat new to us, uh, once a year we usually uh, will receive a a special offering. And uh, most years it is designated towards uh, something. One year we renovated uh, part of the, the kids' wing and things like that. Uh, the emphasis this year is really going to be sewing into our future. Uh, we, we're okay in this room, but the kids' wing is kind of nuts. And so uh, we are praying very intentionally about what's next. And here's what we know. What we know is whatever is next, it's, it's going to take some dollars. It's just, it's just the way it is. And so we are actively looking at lots of options and praying. And so uh, here in a couple weeks, uh, we're going to receive that offering, and it's just going to be set aside uh, for, for whatever is next. And so we just invite you, uh, if this is your home, uh, if, this, if, if you consider the Vineyard Your Church home, we invite you to pray with us and consider how you might uh, be involved with us in that. Uh, okay, so we are actually in a short series on the book of Galatians. Uh, Adam uh, launched last week and, and hit a little bit in uh, chapter 1 and 2. Uh, I'm going to be in Galatians chapter 3 today, and uh, we're going uh, to hit a, a few things in, uh, in this chapter. Uh, there's so many elements uh, to this particular chapter that I really enjoy, uh, one of which is Paul's snarkiness. I love snarky Paul. If, if Paul was in your friend group, he would be the guy that you never had to wonder what he was actually thinking. He doesn't tend to sugarcoat things. And certainly uh, in this chapter, uh, when, he, when he starts out, uh, you can see that uh, Paul is in snarky mode, at least, at least in the beginning. Uh, he's laying into the Galatians pretty well. Uh, but beyond Paul's, uh, uh, Paul's directness, uh, this, this chapter to me is very liter- uh, liberating and it's full of hope. So there's a lot of things to like about Galatians uh, chapter 3. And it really kind of picks up right where chapter 2 left off. Um, Thank you, Allison. I kept telling myself uh, in worship, like, just hold back a little bit, save your voice. And then third song, they come in with cherry blossoms and you just, you know. (laughs) Thanks a lot, Glenn. Um... Yeah, so in, in chapters 1 and 2, uh, Paul is really, well, he's doing a couple of things. For one is he's uh, reminding them about, kind of a little bit about his, uh, his own credentials, okay? So that's part of what, he, uh, what he, he was doing in the first couple chapters. And so what's going on here is the Galatians, which is a, they're relatively new to the faith, okay? Uh, so this is uh, the point in church history where the gospel 
uh, you know, Jesus has, has come and he's been crucified and resurrected and then the Holy Spirit has come and, and the gospel is being shared now to the, uh, to the Gentiles as well uh, or, the, or what had been kind of the outsiders. And so now it's so inclusive and everybody's invited in. And uh, even though this church has experienced that, uh, they are falling uh, under some, some poor teaching that's kind of leading them back towards the law and towards the old ways. And so the first couple chapters is a little bit focusing on, okay, who, who's included here? Okay, a, a reminder that what Jesus did, he did for everyone. And so he's reminding them a little bit about that. And this is kind of where we, where we pick up in chapter 3. So you know, I don't know whose job it was uh, when, the, when the Bible was really put together. I know there were you know, groups and committees, but how they decided, okay, this will be where chapter 3 begins. This is one of those situations where they were like, I don't know, just started here. It really could have been a little before, a little after, because this is still kind of continuing the same, uh, the same thinking. But, uh, yeah, so uh, Paul is continuing to express his frustration over the Galatians, reemphasizing the law, specifically circumcision, which I know we love to talk about in church. <laughs> you really should go back and listen to last week's message, if for no other reason to hear uh, Adam's circumcision joke. It was amazing. <laughs> I know, it's awkward. But it was funny. Uh, yeah, and I, and I know. Look, circumcision. I know it's kind of a, it's kind of a, can be a, kind of a controversial topic. But just just if that's something you are considering, uh, this is a public service announcement. No, no, no. Look, look there, there is a practitioner in town uh, that actually offers the service for free. He only takes tips. A good start. Now, you may not remember anything else about today's message, but it was worth it. I'm sorry. Here's the truth. I have no idea who made that joke, but I've been telling it for 20 years. I heard that joke in high school, and I've been telling it for 20 years. I actually... Don't worry. That's it. That's it. That's it with the circumcision jokes. I actually... Although I did lobby Adam, I said, Adam, you should tell him. Another one next week. I told him I was going to tell this joke. And I said, you should tell one next week, and we'll just have a little running thing for the series of Galatians. Don't worry. He didn't even want to hear it. He wouldn't even let me finish. He just cut me off. <laughs> All right, so... <laughs> Turn in your Bibles. <laughs> Galatians 3. <laughs> Chapter... Verse 1. All right. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. So again, this is Paul letting them have it. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or 
by you believing what you heard. So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Okay. So scripture says in a few, in a few places, and, and Paul's emphasizing again here, that it, it's actually the spirit that draws us. All right? So for anyone that has come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've done so because, at least in part, that the spirit drew you. That is not a minor detail. And Paul's audience uh, here had experienced the spirit. This is a group of believers. So they had experienced the Spirit. So this isn't a matter that they are doubting Jesus or that they're doubting the Spirit. They had experienced and believed in both. And yet, they are considering taking on the burden of the Jewish laws and customs. Okay, so imagine a man shipwrecked on a deserted island. Maybe we'll pick something arbitrary. Uh, somewhere uh, way, way, way off the, the uh, coast of uh, Australia. We'll be arbitrary there. So some little deserted island, and he needs to get back to Australia. And so he decides, I can't just sit here and wait. I want to at least give myself a chance, try and make my way back to my home. So he scours the land, and he finds a little makeshift raft, and he sets off through the treacherous waters uh, home, using you know, all the nautical training that he had had, what he had, to try and at least point himself in the right direction. As he makes some progress, at some point, fortunately, a ship comes by, sees him, brings him aboard, cares for him, feeds him, and... Uh, fortunately, informs him, we are heading to Australia. It's good news, right? Okay. Is it, is it conceivable that this man at some point would begin to doubt? I don't know if this ship is going to take me where I need to go. I think I'm going to get my raft and get back into the water and finish the journey on my own. Is that ridiculous? I think this is what Paul must have felt. These people had disembarked their raft, had gone on to uh, the ship, okay? but yet somehow they decided that they would try and manipulate these waters on their own. Why? Right? That's a ridiculous notion. Jesus had come. They had experienced him. So it isn't, it isn't you know, like this little analogy, this guy on the, on the raft hadn't just theoretically thought, well, should I get on the boat? No, he was on the boat and was attempting to get off the boat, back into the water, why? Why would they do that? And so I think this is the source of Paul's frustration. You've actually experienced the Lord. You've experienced the Spirit. This is how you, you came into this. And yet you want to go back to the law and trust the law to, to lead and guide you. 
So it's a, r a ridiculous notion. So why turn back to the law? So probably, probably a few reasons, all right? So we're going to speculate a little bit about what their motivations may have been. Uh, maybe they didn't want their previous labor to be in vain. You know, so uh, this was a church that, uh, you know, so, so the, the Judaizers, as what some people refer to them, the people uh, that were Jewish that came into the faith, uh, and then they were putting on to the Galatians, like, you need to do this. So what, what's the motivation there? Maybe partly that they didn't want, like, all that they had had to live under to be in vain, right? Does that make sense? So was that for nothing? So, you know, we had to try and live all these codes and all these other things. So uh, let's, let's not just get rid of all that. Also, uh, one passage that came to mind is the story of the prodigal son. And one of the most interesting characters in that story to me is the brother. So if you're not familiar with this story, um, there, there was a family uh, of prominence and one of the sons wanted to take his inheritance and and go off and do what he wanted to do. And the father blessed him, let him have it. He went, he blew it all. Uh, he just fell as, as low as you could, right? And then when he reached the bottom, decided to, to come home, and his father received him, forgave him, you know, killed the fatted calf and received him. So it's a beautiful story. But this character, the side character, the brother, was kind of angry. Because he had stayed at home, and he had been faithful, and he continued to work. And so I wonder if there's a little bit of that mentality here among the Jewish believers. Like, we've done all of this work, and now you guys get to come in, and you get to partake, and you don't have to do all this stuff? No, that's not fair, right? So I wonder if there's a little bit of that mentality here. Why are they going back to the law? Well, we had to do it all these years. You should have to do, you should have to do it too. But I think maybe the most significant thing, the reason that they are leaning back towards the law is maybe that they have forgotten the promise. Maybe they had forgotten the promise. Let's look at verse 6. So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. We read that a minute ago. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on the faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Okay, so I, I want you to consider this. I think, I believe that it's a mistake to think that Jesus was plan B, okay? And that the law didn't do its job. So we're going to try this for a while. It's not working. Okay, what can we do? Well, I'll send Jesus. Let's bring out the big guns. We tried this. Not working, let's do something else. See, God had already promised Abraham that he would bless all nations through him. It was already a promise. And throughout the Old Testament, we're already seeing God's plan to send a Redeemer, a Messiah. It's littered throughout the Old Testament. That plan is already in place. And so when God makes his promise to Abraham, keep in mind, 
that it's 400, it's about 400 years or more before the law even comes to fruition. Okay? So here's a big question for us here in the Bible Belt. How did people get saved before Jesus? There's our church word, saved. How did, how did people get saved before Jesus? The law? Okay, well, what about before the law, right? You have to go back 400 years from the law to get to Abraham, not to mention all of human history before Abraham. So how do people get saved before the law? You see, the law was never meant to save anyone. It's always been about faith. It's always been about faith. And as Paul says about Abraham... He believed, and it was counted as righteousness. See, before Jesus, people were saved by their faith in God and His promise to send a Redeemer. And now we're saved by our faith in God and the Redeemer that He sent. Man, that's good news. Yes, so before Jesus, people were saved by their faith in God and His promise to send a Redeemer. And now for us, we're saved by our faith in God and the Redeemer that He has already sent. It's always been about Jesus. Always. It was about the work that He was going to do, and now it's about the work that He's done. But it's always been about Jesus. It's always been about faith. So Paul is working really hard here to remind the Galatians that it isn't just unnecessary to revert to the law, but that it makes light of the grace that he's extended to them. Because let's, let's, uh, let's talk about the law for a minute. So Paul uh, kind of doubles back here, and it do, does kind of beg an obvious question. All right? So if it's always been about grace, if the law is never what saved anyone, if the law is so bad, then why did they need it? actually kind of a trick question, because the law actually wasn't bad. The law actually wasn't bad. It was actually necessary. Okay, does it sound like I'm contradicting myself? You see, even in the Old Testament, people were saved by faith. So what did the law do? The law actually enabled them to understand sin and hopefully protect them from it, okay? So the law did have a purpose. So I won't, I won't, I'm not going to pretend in knowing what the significance was in, in every single law. Certainly there's some pretty random things. Seem random to me. So I'm, I'm not going to pretend to know the purpose in every single law, but I know essentially the law was put in place to protect. But it was a means to, it was a means to help them navigate until Jesus would ar- arrive and deal with sin in a more significant way. Does that make sense? All right, let's look at ver- uh, verse 19. So Paul, he anticipates this question. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed, I, uh, in other words, the Messiah, to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? And Paul says emphatically, absolutely not. 
For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. All right? But Scripture has locked up everything under control of sin so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might not be given to those who... Uh, might be given to those who believe. <laughs> Sorry. All right, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to, uh, that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that the faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Uh, N.T. Wright uh, uses a, a little bit different description than guardian. He, he equates it to more like a babysitter or a nanny. Like the Jewish people were in the care of the law, watched over them, Okay? instructed them. But just like uh, you know, one of those sitcoms where you have uh, failure to launch or stunted growth, there becomes a time where it's no longer cute to rely on your nanny, right? So there came a time where the church had matured and no longer needed. It was no longer necessary to have the babysitter. It was no longer necessary to have the same guardian or the nanny. Here's another way to look at it. Um, most of us probably, unfortunately, probably have known someone at some point that needed some type of a, of a transplant. So we'll, uh, for an example, use a bone marrow transplant. It's very serious, of course. And so you go and the doctor uh, gives you uh, hopefully good news that says, all right, if we get a transplant and we have a donor, so the prognosis is very good. We think you're going to be fine. But until we can do the procedure, here are the steps that we need to take to help you. So there's going to be tests. There's going to be chemo. There's going to be all these things you have to do in the interim, right, to protect you. Then you have the procedure. And for the sake of this example, everything goes well, as well as it could, okay? It does its job. The, treat, the transplant works. Now, once it's done, and once it's worked, who wants to go back to those intermediate treatments and rely on those things, right? Does this make sense? However, we can appreciate the role that those things played in getting us to what was ultimately the cure. But we don't need to go back to them. Right? So make no mistake. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, we... Yeah, once it's done, we don't have to go back to the old treatments. And beyond it being, un and beyond it being unnecessary to go back, it could also be harmful. Right? Why apply those things when they're not needed? Does that make sense as well? Right. So we can appreciate the role that they played and at the same time recognize that they're no longer needed. So make no mistake, though, and I don't want to uh, give the wrong impression here. Make no mistake, God does care about how we live, okay? So remember, this book was written to people that already knew Jesus, and so Paul's not talking to people that need to be converted. So he is giving life instruction here to followers, to believers, 
This is a message to believers, and the point is to point the way to the good kind of life. All right, so what is a good kind of life? Like, what, what does this look like? And we'll try and make this a little bit more practical here. Um, this life under the law, where these guys were kind of swerving back towards, versus life in the Spirit. See, life in the law can equate essentially to a life of striving, to a life of trying to earn, right? And it's also a life of adding to Jesus. Adam hit on this a little bit last week. Adding to Jesus. Here's the, here's the problem with adding to Jesus. See, you, you, anytime you hear you need Jesus and, essentially, no one may not phrase it with that, like that, but you need Jesus and. Here's the problem with adding to Jesus. When you're adding to Jesus, you're essentially excluding more people. Right? You're drawing more lines in the sand. We should always be concerned of a theology that adds to Jesus. And no one has ever, no one has ever been more inclusive than Jesus. Right? So if you're falling into a worldview that becomes more and more and more exclusive, that's a problem. So Adam mentioned last week, you know, the, what's happening in the church today with you know, political party affiliation and nationalism and these things that are getting merged in with the church in different ways, excluding people, right? And even denominational loyalty can be a real problem. It can be a real problem. Uh, when I first started, uh, when I moved up here, I didn't even know what the vineyard was when I moved to Campbellsville in, in 2000. So I made some friends here and started visiting a little bit. Uh, and I heard, as maybe some of you have heard, some of the jokes about the vineyard being a cult. Anybody heard that? You don't have to raise your hand. Uh, now, to be fair... Uh, the, the, what I was hearing was, were, were jokes, right? They were jokes. But it was just enough. You know, you, sometimes that, that, uh, that cliche, there's a little truth in every joke. And I thought, what? I don't really know much about the vineyard. So I just thought I'd start Googling a little bit. And, and as I was Googling uh, and researching a little bit about the vineyard, I discovered this website who, uh, whose sole purpose was to identify and keep a running list of cults. It was amazing, yes. And make no mistake, there were definitely some pretty out there things listed on the website that I would concede, yeah, that's probably not a good place. To, that's probably dangerous. But I marveled at some of the things that were included and why they were included. And why were they included? They were being included because whoever was running this particular site had a very narrow view of Jesus and what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And so they were adding and adding and adding, so much so that a lot of people that really loved Jesus were excluded. So beware of a worldview that wants to add to Jesus. Now, uh, that doesn't mean uh, we shouldn't have, you know, good 
debates. I, I don't mean any of that. I mean, uh, some of the things that we care about are important. Uh, churches that you know, disagree on spiritual gifts or do you sprinkle, do you immerse, do you... you know, these are all good conversations. These are all important things. But what we're talking about here is who's included, who's in the family. And so if you find yourself falling into a world that excludes people from Jesus, <coughs> beware. So that's kind of what life in the law is like. Life in the law is a life of adding to Jesus and excluding people. And it's a life of striving. But life in the Spirit, life in the Spirit, instead of striving and earning, there's freedom, there's security, there's grace, and there's mercy, right? All these things. And why? Why does life in the Spirit yield such drastically different things? Well, I think one of the main things is, is because of what Jesus did, we can simply accept our place in the family. Because of what Jesus did, we can just accept our place in the family. Verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We have, uh, we have four girls, and obviously we're endeavoring to be good parents. We want to be, be good parents. We want to show affection. We do show affection. We teach. We correct. We discipline. We play. We provide. We bless. Sometimes we raise our voices. But, you know, we're, we're endeavoring. We're endeavoring to be good parents. And some of that isn't easy. They'll make mistakes. We make mistakes. But if we parent well, one thing will be certain through all of that. Our girls will always know their place in our family. And I think that might be the best way that I could contrast life in the law versus life in the Spirit. Yeah. That our children will always know their place in the family. And if there's a chance our daughters will know that, then, then that's really good news for anyone in God's family. We're not perfect parents. He's perfect. We're not perfect. And if there's a chance our daughters are going to know their place in the family, that's really good news for us. Yeah. All right, so how much more certain then is God's love for us, His patience? And how much more can we trust His leading and His judgment, His correction, all those things? How much more can we trust Him? Yeah. Uh, one, more, one more little metaphor on this. Uh, I used to run cross-country uh, in high school. And those days are long gone. <laughs> <laughs> I used to run, yeah, I used to run cross country, and 
especially in retrospect, uh, I, I think about it a little bit differently now, but I remember, even, I remember at times hearing people talk about certain courses, talking about how pretty they were, and you know this mark or that, or things that they liked about the course. And I remember being uh, thinking thoughts like, huh, I've run that course, and I've never noticed that. Never noticed any of that. And so one of my um, regrets about cross-country, other than not being particularly good, <laughs> was uh, how I treated both practices and races. And I was a runner that would typically look down most of the time, looking for roots, being really mindful also of, you know, because I was competitive, which is not a bad thing, but really mindful of, the, of where the other runners were, um, you know, bushes, thorns, things, or if we're out on the road. Uh, um, and, it, and it's good to be mindful of these things, right? I mean, you don't want to wipe out, and you don't want to you know, run into poison ivy or step on a snake or any of these things, right? And that, looking back, that was almost my primary focus. All the little obstacles, the competitors, so much so that I had very little focus on the destination and I had very little focus on the beauty around me. This is how oblivious I was. Um, as a runner. Uh, some meets, uh, there was one course we had where it was really just like this open park, and it was, a mile, it was a mile and a half loop. We would run it twice, but you could basically see the runners through the whole race. But that was unusual. Most of the time, most of our courses were like, you know, through these wooded areas, you know, these trails and things. And so there may be little checkpoints here and there where there'd be people, but there'd usually be long stretches where there wouldn't be anybody Around, but this was a course uh, that was like that, so you don't encounter a lot of people. But we were coming up one spot, and it just so happened that my coach had made the trek to this spot, and he yelled out at me, and I, I, <laughs> I just kind of slowed down and looked at him, and <laughs> like what? That was my expression, like what? And he looked at me so incredulous and just said, "Go!" Like <laughs> he was just. <laughs> He was just cheering. He was like, go, Andrew. And I'm like, what? And I'm like slowing. I literally slowed down to see what he wanted. He let me hear about that after the race. But that's how oblivious I was to like the more important things. I didn't even hardly, I mean, I recognized the voice of my coach, but not what he was saying. And like, so oblivious. I'm just so focused. I don't trip. I don't want to hit, you know. And I think that's a little bit like trying to live life under the law. Living life focused on all the things not to do. So much so that you lose focus on your destination, that you lose sight of the beauty. And again, it's good to be aware of the trappings, but life in Jesus when we really trust Jesus, when we really believe, that gives us something to live toward and not a life focusing on the things to avoid. 
Life in the Spirit is having a life pulling you towards something. Life in the Spirit, again, is knowing that you have a place at the table and there's room for everyone. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to do two things. Ministry team, you can go ahead and come on up. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.